Welcome to the PreparedX podcast, your complete source for crisis, emergency, business continuity and security preparedness interviews, news, and much more. Now, your host, he creates chaos for a living, Rob Burton. Hello, and welcome to episode 94 of the PreparedX podcast. I'm your host, Rob Burton. And just before we get started, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by the International Crisis Management Conference. For those of you that are not familiar with the conference, uh, we are hosting it this year up in Newport, Rhode Island. So beautiful Newport. And it's in early summer, June 7th and June 8th. We actually have a cocktail hour on June 6th. So if you can join us, we'd love to see you there. We have some great speakers uh, from some large organizations throughout the world. And these are leaders of resiliency, crisis management, emergency management, and uh, and cyber, as, uh, among other, top, among other um, subjects. So if you can join us, uh, please feel free to uh, check out the website, uh, crisisconferences.com. That's crisisconferences.com for more details. Okay, on to today's show. Today, I'm joined by Hector Delgado, who is the co-founder at ASR Alert Systems, which is a patented state-of-the-art critical incident response technology specializing in the field of alert notifications to law enforcement and first responders in the event of an active shooter or other crisis. So uh, welcome, Hector. Oh, thank you, Rob. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, just before we get started, uh, Hector, um, didn't go into your uh, career too much there, but uh, could you let our listeners know a little bit more about yourself and your career so far, please? Absolutely. Uh, my background is I spent 29 years in the Navy uh, as a Navy SEAL in both active and reserve components, um, serving at SEAL Team 2, 3, 4, 18, and a few other special operations commands. When I wasn't serving on active duty, I started my federal law enforcement career as a deputy United States Marshal working out of New York City, Miami, and West Palm Beach. 9-11 struck our country and I transferred over to Homeland Security where I retired as a special agent a few years with uh, Homeland Security Investigations. Great. Appreciate that. And, uh, you know, a great career that. And of course, uh, you know, appreciate your service coming from a, a fellow veteran. Thank you, sir. Um, I've been starting off with this question uh, more recently uh, with some of our guests, uh, and it's to do with, um, you know, one of the most challenging, um, you know, roles that they've played so far. So, you know, I'm sure, of course, you know, with, with your naval career, as well as your other, um, you know, you know, things that you've done throughout your career, uh, Hector, what's the what's the one thing that stands out for you in terms of the most challenging? Yeah, I, I think that having my background in, in both military and federal law enforcement and transitioning into uh, the civilian world and trans, you know, transitioning into a company culture has been probably the most challenging because my background, if you're late, you might not you know, get on that helicopter. Your, your, your friends depend on you. If you're, right. you, know, you can't execute your mission, it's a team environment and it's life dependent. Whereas in, in the corporate side, it might be, again, you're dependent upon your teammates and execution, but that life uh, threatening, you know, it, it's not there. So I think coming into the corporate side and, and uh, dealing with civilians and dealing with folks that have not do not have my background, it's just a different way of how you manage uh, them and how you, uh, you manage the company. So that's been the challenge, but uh, I've been able to, uh, to change 
and understand and and uh, and and adjust. So it, it's working out much better than when I first uh, transitioned from uh, the feds. Yeah, well, great. Appreciate you sharing that uh, about uh, your background there. Um, as we move on here for our listeners, um, you know, I, I know the topic here, uh, for those of you that uh, are jumping in and listening here, of course, it's you know, we're going to be talking about active shooter and violent intruder uh, crises. Um, I'd like to know a little bit more about the data around mass shootings. Um, how does the FBI classify mass shootings? Is it the FBI that uh, we go to in terms of the classification? I'd love to hear a little bit more about the data behind this, Hector. Sure. Um, you know, the FBI and in general, they classify a mass shooting as three or four deaths due to gun violence. Um, but uh, besides the FBI, there's also a site called gun Ar- gunviolencearchive.org. And there you could see all the number of deaths and you know they have data there that captures almost 8,000 deaths uh to date in 2022 uh and that's due to gun violence then there's uh mass shootings we've have we have 84 mass shootings 2022 wow four mass murders you've got 55 people killed again uh these are children 122 injured and again i'm 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 telling you information from, of course, this last horrible tragedy at Oxford in Michigan, the school up there. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, again, it's a, it's an epidemic. It's unfortunate, but it's here. And, um, you know, the, the, there are organizations, schools, uh, corporations that have to mitigate this. And uh, I finally see that there's a lot of movement in that area. Yeah, sure. I'm sure as I was thinking there about sporting events and venues like that, and uh, of course, music events as well. We saw the one out in Vegas, um, you know, um, you know, a number of uh, falls back, um, those, those fall a mass killing from the hotel there. So yeah, some, some terrible events that of course, um, and the smaller ones you mentioned, there are a tremendous amount of um, smaller ones that um, you wouldn't even think about, but um, interesting data. Thank you for sharing that, uh, Hector. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, MGM, and they just, I won't say they, they had to pay over $800 million. They were sued. So MGM has now started, because of that payment, and because of the payment that Marjorie Stoneman Douglas had to pay, the FBI had to pay because of that tragedy at Stoneman Douglas, the C-suite is now taking notice. If it's affecting shareholder value, what are we doing to mitigate these types of occurrences? And additionally, the, in, the, the lawsuit, the federal lawsuit and for Oxford in Michigan is now naming superintendents, teachers by name. I've oh, never really? seen that in the past. So yeah. this is a, a new, uh, it, it's no longer taking the ostrich defense. You have to do something. It's a, it's a for, insurance companies are now stating this is a foreseeable event. So OSHA and insurance companies are looking at this, that it will happen. It could happen. So you need to be prepared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting on the hotel. I'd not, uh, I'd not seen that in terms of that ruling. But uh, thanks for sharing. Um, we see, we hear about mass shootings though being, you know, here in the U.S. as a, obviously, you know, obviously a big issue and a challenge in terms of preparedness. But are there other countries around the world that also have uh, mass shootings? There are other countries, you know, around the world that have uh, these mass shootings. But I, I don't think they're. Um, I won't say politicized, but I don't think. They don't have the same um, media that we do here in, in the U.S. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of it is there's a lot more gun control in other countries than we have in our country. Um, and, and I think that's that's mainly, uh, you know, the reason why, again, some, you know, some people will say guns are the problem. Some people say folks are the problem. 
But uh, we do see when it comes to, and I know we're speaking about gun violence, but when I, when, what I consider, again, it a terrorist attack, whether it's a domestic terrorist mm -hmm. a citizen or someone from outside. But I have seen, of course, in the UK and other parts of, of Europe where individuals are using trucks, uh, knives, and other uh, you know, uh, types of weapons to hurt people. Uh, so it's not only a, a mass shooting uh, concern, it's other uh, threats that could be uh, used as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I know there's been a number of those, um, you know, heavy vehicles. Uh, there was a, um, a vehicle in the south of France, um, if you remember, it went down the promenade. Um, um, a Bastille Day, I think, was a holiday down uh, or in France. And exactly. um, it ran down the sidewalk there and um, killed, um, killed a lot of people. So, yeah, um, I mean, it's not it's not just the weapon that can do that, right? Agreed. Um, so, okay, so th these events do happen. There's obviously, you know, lots of uh, examples out there, but what can organizations do in terms of identifying the threat before? Is there anything that they can do to help prevent the attack? Well, there's a number of things they can do. Of course, they obviously having a, a good assessment of your facility, of your organization, um, you know, conducting a security vulnerability assessment, um, which entails looking at lighting, looking at, you know, the folks, uh, of course, your, your vetting, your hiring, your termination policies, uh, access control, just conducting a thorough assessment of, a, of your hard structures. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, you know, how does that going to affect business as well? So there's a business assessment that needs to be conducted. But that's one thing to do is the assessment. And, of course, utilizing technology. Uh, right now, um, you know, folks, unfortunately, directors will buy a number of different technologies, whether it's as access control cameras, uh, you know, uh, shooter detection systems. But are they integrated properly? Are they working to respond to a critical incident? So that's important. Uh, and I know uh, to answer the question is, you know, I know that there's a, uh, some companies out there that are using artificial intelligence um, to, uh, you know, can, to use, utilize that machine learning so they can see whether it's what type of weapon, whether it's a bulge, and to identify people prior to an attack based on nonverbal indicators, mm -hmm. uh, how they behave, what they leave, you know, and so forth. So I think the machine learning is coming into play. AI will, will be part of this. It, it is already, and I think it's going to grow as the learning continues to, to progress. Yeah, yeah, no, it's some cool technology out there. I know um, one of our partners, uh, OnSolve, has um, an AI-driven uh, risk analysis tool where it brings in it's all open source information but um, you can um, you can set you know your location or whatever your business might be and, and then set the threats that you want to kind of look at and uh, send you out a, a regular report to help reduce those uh, exposures and, and and these individuals that do this as well um, Hector I, I know um, you know we did some work with Marisa Randazzo over the years and uh, Marisa um, always used to state that there was always warning signs from these individuals whether would paste on you know post on facebook or on social media before they went out and did this is, is that your experience as well it is i think dr randazzo does a great job and she's i consider her an expert when it comes to those threat assessments and yes these folks number one they conduct their own reconnaissance they look they are looking for you know organizations and and establishments that are, are not protected um and you know these warning signs these triggers uh could be I, I've always looked at, instead of looking at the profile of these, of these individuals, I always look at, you know, what could really trigger these things? Is it, is it a jilted lover? Is it, you know, a bullying inc incident? Okay. But the key is they will look 
and see, you know, they'll pick the what's attractive to them. What's attractive is yeah. an organization that is not secured. So there's visual signs that can deter people. And there's there are uh, drills and exercises that could also deter folks and say, you know what, I don't think this is a good idea. Let me go to another organization, which is right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think I, I did. Uh, I did a short blog of a number of years ago. Now there was uh, a shooter um, in a cinema in uh, Louisiana. And uh, it said that he'd been to a number of at least two, I believe, um, previous uh, cinemas to do reconnaissance to see what the cameras were like to see how you would get in and out and what have you. And so and then he chose a, another location uh, because of, again, you know, reconnaissance. But uh, again, those signs were there in terms of, you know, this individual, um, you know, looking to do something. So, um, you know, fa fascinating when you get into the mind, really. Exactly. It's unfortunate, you know, they, they do come prepared and, um, you know, but they need to do their homework. And uh, as you've seen in the past with these folks, even here at Stillman Douglas, um, they, they, they come with a number of weapons and uh, they have a plan. But if we can at least inject uh, some, a, a distraction or at least if you can prevent it by a, a, uh, a visual deterrence, um, you can avoid it. But it's not only, again, it's not only one solution. There are a number of solutions that, of course, start with that assessment process. Sure, sure. Okay, moving on. Um, are you an advocate of the run, hide, fight method? Um, I, I know in, in our space, we, you know, we come across in the crisis management world, um, you know, sometimes we touch on those different areas of the organization and, and one is security. So that seems to be fairly widely used in terms of the corporate space. What's your um, background with the run, hide, fight methodology? Well, there's a number of protocols that are, are used and um, across the country. Run, hide, fight is what the Department of Homeland Security recommends. That's what they use. That's the training that they provide, whether it's virtually or, you know, in person. Mm -hmm. um, but there is run, hide, fight. There's Alice. There's avoid, deny, defend. There's a number of protocols that are out there, but they all have one thing in common, and that's surviving. Uh, you have to survive. So mm -hmm. when, when, you know, to answer the question is, yes, I'm a fan of run, hide, fight. I also have parts. I also support certain parts of the Alice. I also yep. support avoiding. And, and the reason being is it started and, you know, with a, a bunch of professionals uh, in this space and they realized that, you know, we have to do something. People sometimes get confused. Oh, I have to run. Then I have to hide. Then I have to fight. No, right. it can happen the other way. You may have to fight first and then run. So, right. I think the key here for folks is in an active shooter, I'm either going to leave the building, leave my area because I can, or I'm going to shelter in place and be ready to survive. And uh, that's the key. It's survival. Yeah, that's a great message. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we always talk about that situational awareness, right? So, you know, understanding, you know, your environment, what are you hearing, what are you smelling, all those great things that, uh, you know, we obviously, you know, um, were taught in the military and, and used in our operations. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, when you hear the word hide, sometimes I see pictures online of, hey, they're doing run, hide, fight. And I see people and children under desks. You know, uh, I, I don't think that's a good message. I no. think surviving is important. And that's why folks move away from a hide word, you know, and uh, yep. can, you, you want to at the very end, if there's if you if, if, it's, if it comes down to surviving, you may have to fight and you, you have to be in that position with some type of environmental weapon to protect yourself and your and your the folks in your room. So the, the word hide bothers hide bothers a lot of us professionals out there. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it certainly, um, you know, you, you have to, you know, you know, again, in our, in our, in my experience, there was a, there was a, um, trying to think of his name now, uh, out of Boston. He was a SWAT guy. Um, I met a number of years ago. He did a presentation at one of our early conferences, um, and um, he did a practical presentation, or part of it was practical. It's like, okay, how would we barricade the door in? Because a part, of, if we do have to hide, part of hiding is we need to survive. And so, so to your point is, you know, if we can, you know, push tables and chairs and as much you know in front of that one door as we possibly can because we know that's the direction that we can hear um you know the, the the gunfire coming from if you will um then we you know we might have another few seconds to survive or we or we might prevent this individual from getting through the room so i thought that was quite a quite a good um approach to it in terms of walking around your facilities and really you know uh, putting the um you know uh put, put it into the mindset of your employees on you know how would how would they manage these situations in their own environment yeah that's that's an excellent point rob you know we, we don't want to these look these employees they know their co-workers and we all go through trials and tribulations but you know if if and i'll t- use an example someone gets terminated Okay, you know, you've made moves to remove that person from the system. He doesn't have access to get into the building, etc. But why is he in the parking lot, you know, days after that? But, oh, it's not my problem. That's security's problem. No, you see something, you say something, you know, Larry's been fired. You may want to mention that he's parked in, a, in the parking lot to your security director. So that's, that's the key is getting everybody to understand that safety and security is a team effort. Excellent, excellent. <clears throat> okay, um, I, I want to move on and, and shift gears slightly here. I know you're ha- uh, involved with the Navy SEAL Museum uh, museum and memorial down there in Florida. And um, just a, a quick plug for it. I have been uh, many, well, several years ago now with my children when they were younger, and we had a fantastic afternoon there. So um, they do a great job at the museum. Uh, what's your involvement there, Hector? Well, yes. And first of all, thanks for, for visiting us down there. I, I sit on the board of the museum, been part of the museum for many, many years. Uh, you know, uh, I, I, we used to go down there as, as active duty SEALs and participate on their annual muster that they hold on Veterans Weekend every year. Uh, so, you know, my goal is I'm not a fan of books and movies written by the SEALs. I think we need to yep. uh, do God's work uh, in silent. But um, I am a fan of preserving the legacy, um, you know, memorializing and honoring those who have gone through, you know, forward and, and the ultimate sacrifice. And we also support the families through the Trident uh, Charities program. So it's sort of a uh, legacy, memorial, and family support. That's what we've become at the Navy SEAL Museum. And I'm very proud to, to support that, that museum and, and send that message and educate the public. Yeah, what's the, um, uh, the the family part again? Do you have a website for that? I think you can let yes. our listeners know. Yeah. Absolutely. If you go to the NavySealMuseum.com and go to the uh, Trident Charities tab, that is a uh, what we have is we have a house here in South Florida where we can bring in either SEALs, active duty SEALs, or Gold Star families. Um, you know, and folks that can come back because we do have issues. These guys have been hitting it hard for, for yep. many years. Yep. Uh, families are in disrepair. Let's bring them down to the museum. Let's give them a chance for a week or two to just re-engage, no agenda. And it's a house near the water that they can do a number of different things and just reconnect. As well as if you uh, have a fallen seal, you can come down, come to the museum, see your, your son, your brother, your father on the wall honor him that way and still stay at the house so uh it's it's just just giving back and that's what's important to me 
That's fantastic. Yeah, and I look forward to uh, when, when I'm in that uh, area again, uh, dropping in. I'll certainly connect with you uh, when I do that. Absolutely. I, I, I'll give you a, an updated private tour. I appreciate that. So, okay, uh, great. This has been a, a fantastic episode. As we start to wrap up here, um, we do this often uh, with regards to, um, you know, anyone who's uh, pulling in, um, you know, who's talking about, um, you know, these different uh, serious topics here. Um, I, I know um, I'd love to hear a little bit more, uh, and our listeners, I'm sure, would, about your active shooter system, uh, Hector. Could you let us know? Absolutely. So uh, I designed the system, you know, understanding that there was a gap of information during these incidents that law enforcement and first responders would like to know. And then I started thinking about what about those, those you know, employees, those children, those teachers. So our system, uh, the ASR threat alert system is hardware and software that is, uh, they're panic buttons that are put out throughout an organization. There's also mobile pendants and we have an app. And what we do is the difference between all others is we have a patent that goes directly into law enforcement. So it sends the actual address, uh, the room, and it provides a map to those dispatchers so they can see immediately where that button is pressed and they can relay that information directly to law enforcement who might be around the corner writing a report. The system also notifies uh, law enforcement directly through their emails, through their phones, and provides those maps. So now at least they have a point of reference and they can immediately uh, respond. Whereas conventional uh, you know, calls is there's an attack, let me run, let me secure myself, let me call 911 right. and sometimes you can be put on hold. So we, all we've done is we've cut down time and by doing that, we're saving lives. That's fantastic. And um, you know, what's the website there that folks can go to to check that out? Yes, the website is www.asralertsystems with an S.com. asralertsystems.com. Fantastic. And we'll make sure we add that in the show notes for anyone that um, would like to click on a link there. Okay, fantastic episode today, Hector. Thank you very much for your time. Do you have any final comments for our listeners? And how might they be able to get a hold of you or contact you? No, thank you. Uh, it was, first of all, it was a pleasure to come on. I appreciate the uh, discussion. Look forward to seeing you either in New Hampshire or up in the Northeast, I'm sorry. And, uh, and if you come down and uh, folks, folks can email me at Hector at ASRAlertSystems.com or you can call me direct at 561-319-3400. And I will only say to folks, be aware of your surroundings, stay safe, stay healthy, and God bless you. Thank you very much again for your time today, Hector. Hopefully we'll be chatting to uh, you again soon and uh, I'll hope to meet you one day and shake your hand. You will, Rob. Thanks again, buddy. Take care. Yes, sir. Bye-bye now. Mm-hmm.